So before we dive into this super cool interview with Donna Flagg, I want to share with you that Donna and I got so excited about just talking together and having so much fun, we forgot to tell you about discount code that she wanted to offer you for all of her classes so you can go ahead and try Elastics too. And let me just tell you, amazing. So you definitely want to do this. But to get the discount and get 50% off of all of her classes through October, you want to use the code TRIBE50. That's T-R-I-B-E-5-0. And now here it is. My conversation with Donna. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner. And I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders. On today's episode, I have an amazing guest, Donna Flagg. She is the founder of Lastix and Lastix Body. And Donna actually started her career as a dancer and then moved into the corporate world after working for top companies like Chanel and Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs and earning two graduate degrees from New York University. Oh my goodness. She started her own consulting company where she wrote Surviving Dreaded Conversations for McGraw-Hill. At that time, however, Donna became ill. She had to leave her corporate life behind and healing has involved a massive, massive lifestyle change. And from that, she, and as she recovered, she formed Lastics using dance as the foundation and her background in the beauty industry. Her second company is devoted to health and wellness. Donna, I welcome to the show, first of all, but I can hardly wait to hear your story. Thank you, Emmy. Amazing. You have already accomplished more than the average human being. It's uh, definitely been a winding path, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. So tell me, Haley, how did you become a dancer? And what was that journey like? And then tell me everything. Sure, sure. So the dancing actually was an outgrowth. I'm dyslexic as as a backstory to all of this. So the dancing was an outgrowth of my parents just feeling like if this kid doesn't, they didn't know I was dyslexic. Let's just back up a second. So I had a really hard time in school and my parents felt that I was a bundle of problems waiting to happen. And they felt that they needed to get me into something where I could develop self-esteem. And so they tried skating, they tried gymnastics, and the dancing stuck. You know, I was pretty good and I had uh, teachers kind of take me in and push me along a you know, professional training path. I did that and I went to a performing arts school in Philadelphia and got my degree. I actually finished the dance degree at Rutgers and I didn't even realize it till way later in my career. But I realized that I wasn't really a performer. 
as I go through, as I'm back in the industry now, it made a lot more sense for me. I mean, I'm a dancer. Again, it took me years to understand how that works, but they're two different things actually. So what I was doing though was because of the dyslexia, you know, I was petrified to do what most of the other dancers did while they auditioned, which was get a job waiting tables. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to write down orders wrong and I'm going to flip the letters. So I thought, right. not, not a good path for me, but I did just start freelancing makeup. And I just went around to different stores, fudge my way through and teach myself. I did that to support myself while I went around the city auditioning and did very well. That was, it was at Chanel and I loved it. I loved the people. I loved selling Again, I was pretty good. So I was recognized in the company when they saw my numbers. And so I was offered a full-time job at Chanel, which I took. And I also just felt that there, and I knew this just from being in the dance business, the window closes. So you have to get a job to pay for your classes, and you, but you have to also be out auditioning. And so you, it, there's a very small window before you have to actually get a job. As I said, I didn't realize till years later, I was working at Goldman Sachs and my assistant was actually a Bob Fosse dancer. It was through seeing her and just her animation and just kind of like who she was and how she would dance into my office to give me a phone message. And I was like, oh, you're performing all the time. And she says, oh yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't have that. You know, and so it just, as I said, it took me years to understand why I was never dying to be on stage. You kind of backed out of or kind of eased your way out of because you weren't like moving forward in the dance realm? Yeah, I, I mean, I went full, full blown corporate, although I always danced and I would teach. And part of why I wanted to be in the, in the city is the schools are here. And so I always danced. Okay. I just didn't audition, I would teach. And so that was kind of like how, and then I ended up full circle after a corporate career back in the schools where I trained and now I'm teaching. So it's been really cool. That part personally has been really cool for me. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious too, for somebody who has dyslexia and I presume it was diagnosed reasonably late in your educational career, how do you get two degrees? So what I learned, the skills that I developed being a kid, not knowing I was dyslexic, I had to survive. And so I developed extremely good communication skills. Okay. So really what it came down to, first of all, my first degree was in dancing and I could dance. So I had to audition to get into that school. Mm -hmm. The bar was not as high there. I mean, you had to be able to dance. And then, although I had, I had a terrible transcript. I mean, my father, basically, we went in and sat down and with the Dean of the Performing Arts School and said, you know, we have some issues here and, uh, but she can dance. So like, can you just like give her a chance? And what I ended up doing through my four-year degree and the two master's degrees was I just talked to my teachers. I said, look, this is, we discovered it in college where the, okay. the college is Rutgers and I went to U of P and University of Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and they required certain diagnostics in order to make accommodations, which I ended up not wanting because I felt like they made me feel really handicapped and I didn't feel handicapped. I just figured I could negotiate it myself, which I did. So I went to all of the teachers where there would be problems. And I said, look, I'll work twice as hard. I can, I'm, I can do the work, certain things I can't do. So 
on those things. If you double up my work on something I can do, I'll do it and I'll work hard. And I graduated from Rutgers with a 4.0. I mean, the teachers were amazing. They worked with me. Mm -hmm. They like write a, I could write. So they said, write a paper. They said, some of them would give me oral exams. I mean, they were amazing. And so I, you know, they could see that it wasn't, it wasn't an, a work ethic issue. It wasn't an intelligence issue. It was just this weird thing my eyes do when I read. And they all were very sensitive to that. Kudos to you for going in and talking to your teachers to essentially customize your learning experience because I think a lot of kids wouldn't have done that. Yeah, and I think that's part and parcel from not knowing and really having to survive a system. I learned to talk fast, you know, I had to really like get get around things, get away with things because no one knew. I mean, it was really awful, but um, because they wrote it off as my problem. I was a behavioral problem or my parents weren't doing something right. Right. And then when I got tested, you know, the doctor was like, you're a case book, your textbook case. And they should have picked it up in kindergarten, you know? Yeah. But in some ways I really learned, I relied fully on my verbal skills and they just got stronger and stronger and stronger because I couldn't fit the, you know, what they were doing. Right. Absolutely. Which I I think it's just so extraordinary as you've had continued and amazing success and then building your companies is like, you could have let that stop you. I could have, you know, when I was in the performing arts school, the four year school, mm-hmm. there was a part of me that thought, eh, you know, my dad, by the way, was like this crazy genius from Yale. So I, that didn't help because it made a, a scale relative to make me feel even dumber than the school made me feel. So, but I also was like, how do you have a father like that and not have some intelligence? You know, it's, I was always very torn. When I was in Philly, I was dancing and I did feel like was, was what they said true about me. And I, in this, I went to, I kept, I went all year round and I wanted to see like, how do I do at University of Pennsylvania? Like in my mind's eye, a real school, not a dancing school, you know, or I went to Temple. I went to the, all the, regular college universities in Philly in the summers and took classes just to see like how did I stack up against people who didn't have the issues that I had mm-hmm. and I did fine and and again I learned to talk to my teachers and my teacher at U of P was dyslexic and he knew something was going on with me and he sat me down and he talked to me and you know a lot of it I think was luck um, and then when I went to grad school I remember thinking like okay now I'm really now this is not summer school. I'm not with dancers. This is really school, you know, like in my life. <laughs> I'm now really in school school, you know, in academia. And um, I remember getting my first paper back and it was, she wrote like A and then she put like in parentheses, plus, plus, plus. And I went to the park and I sobbed and I thought, oh my God, I actually still didn't really believe it until wow. that, because I was in, you know, I was measuring myself up against real students that was a moment and I just said, okay, they were wrong about you. Everyone was wrong about you. Was that a life-changing moment for you as you you kind of let that trickle into your your consciousness or did you already have enough direction on where you were going that it was just one more piece? I mean, I think it was a piece because I had already done well at Chanel. I had an amazing boss there. So I had started to have some successes and see that I had a lot of strengths in different areas. They just weren't in the area that, you know, that the schools focus on. 
And so, and I was very aware of the people in my environment who supported me. And I never told my boss at Chanel until years later. And, uh, you know, she was shocked, but I do feel like I, I knew that I needed to be surrounded by the right people. Mm -hmm. And, and if they'll, and they would talk to me and just listen, you know, I could deliver. And right. I, I, and I learned the second I got out of school, the second I graduated from high school in my job and in dancing, I knew I could deliver. And so there was a certain confidence in me that I could get people to at least meet me in the middle and see for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It's amazing. I want to fast forward to where you're starting Lastics mm -hmm. and where did the idea come from? Uh, it was kind of the combination of three things. One was I had blown out my knee dancing. So I had you know, a major surgery. Mm -hmm. At the same time, in my consulting firm, I had an office that I shared that office with a division one basketball player. And I, my business partner was eight or nine or 10 months pregnant. And so the three of us were in the office and the basketball player, no, my business partner said, oh my gosh, I'm so tight. I can't move. You know, and she's all of five feet tall. So she was just this big baby in front of her. You know, she was, she's so tiny. So she said, I said, oh, let me stretch. Let's just stretch. Let's get on the floor and do, do some stretching. Basketball player came out of his office and said, what are you guys doing out here? And we said, I said, Patty's tight. You know, we need to stretch. So he goes, oh, can I stretch with you? And I said, sure. So I kept, I started directing them. Like, no, you're not, you have to do this and you have to do that. So the next day he came in and he said, my back is so much better. Can we stretch again today? And I said, sure. So we had floorboards and I, I can't visually show you, but his feet were on like, you know, every th three floorboards were between him. And he was like a six foot four guy. Okay. First day he bent over to try to touch his toes. He was like eight inches away, maybe six. This next day he came in and his fingers touched the floor. Right. And he was like, looked at me like, what did you do to me? And I said, oh my God, I don't even really know. So we started kind of playing around with the idea and I was doing it. We were just seeing like, wow, this, whatever I'm doing is super effective. And, and without being like super sore the next day. Right. Yeah. No, it's just these tiny little, I was adjusting them basically. Like I was like, right. oh no, this has to move there and this has to move there. And then that basketball player had a manager of some sort that managed an NBA player. And I trained the NBA player. And then the NBA player asked me to come back. His name was Randy Foy. He has since retired. Uh -huh. But he asked me to come back. And, and I was like, what? he's out of Villanova. And I said, why? And he said, I never have been stretched like that before. And I said, but you have the best trainers in the world at the NBA. You shouldn't need me. I'm shocked. So he said, well, I did. I do. And he said, you know, and I, so I went and I did it and I was very curious about what am I doing that's causing an NBA player to feel like he can't get what he needs on his team. Right. And he said to me, I've never felt any those. I didn't even know those places in my body were there. And he said, I ran higher. I mean, I ran faster. I jumped higher. I'm like, really? That's so, amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then I still to this day, when people tell me stuff like that, I'm so shocked. And they look at me like, why are you so surprised? I mean, this is what you do. And I'm like, I don't know. I just find it amazing when people's bodies like change or they could like go so much farther. Yeah. So it was the combination of the, my pregnant partner, my own injury as I was trying to put my body back together and the NBA player. And then we realized I had a technique that was really, really effective. I'm astounded and amazed and not surprised all at the same time because I know 
my younger guy played football and they had like just started incorporating a little bit of yoga to help them be, and I'm air quoting, more flexible because mm-hmm. they essentially did CrossFit training, you know, and didn't do like very little stretching. And I can only imagine what this would have done for the team as, you know, if, if they had included it in their workouts. Yeah, I've had, I had a baseball player who say his coach said to him, what did you do? What have you been doing? Because I don't know baseball, but apparently he picked up like, he went from like 93 miles per hour to 96 or seven. And apparently that's a huge, yeah, a huge difference. And he said, when he told his coach he'd been stretching, he said, oh, because then your range of motion, so you could wind up more because you could wind back farther. And uh-huh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, athletes, I, do, I don't think appreciate what it can do if they, get, if they get really deep in there and stretch. And the fact is no one is ever, you know, they talk in weight training and running and everything has dancing, everything has a form and a technique. And the only thing that doesn't is flexibility training. There's no method. There's no technique. There's no principles placed under it to teach you how to do it so that it actually makes a difference. And and moves the needle on actually improvement. I'm just, I'm floored and astounded. (laughs) Um, Moving forward too, like you started training other athletes. At what point did you start offering classes to show and and be able to teach and encourage essentially everybody to stretch and to do elastics? Yeah, initially we just started renting space and, um, and holding it like a regular class. We just, you know, put it up. And I had started teaching in the adult division at Joffrey Ballet School. And so they had a lot of non-dancers or former dancers in that program. So that's how it started where it was kind of a hybrid. They weren't professional or pre-professional dancers, but we were in a dancing school. And then we developed a following from that. And then when I left there, we just rented space. And I just, you know, offered a stretch class. And people came to that. And then I saw where it was going that I'm just, I had more relationships in the dance world. So I literally went back to the schools where I grew up and and I teach in those schools now. They're large commercial dancing schools in the city. Right, right. Amazing. What has been the most fun part for you growing your business? Putting the building blocks in place, even though we get them wrong all the time. I was this way when I was in corporate, just building teams. Like it was like, I need this person to do this. And it was the assembly piece. And then trying to get them to all run, to get all the cars on the track to run together is super challenging. You know, you have the yeah. you got to keep everything going. So the first part is the building. I love, I love putting the pieces, like the puzzle. And it is a, it is a puzzle because you have all the environmental factors that you have no idea how they're going to impact you. Right. My partner and I laugh because often we'll try so hard and we'll try, we'll kill ourselves on something and it completely doesn't work. And then some other tangential thing happens and we get a phone call and we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll do that. You know, <laughs> it is definitely that. My father used to say to me, he made my brother and I read a book called, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere else. And I didn't know I was dyslexic at the time, but I'm like, I'm not reading that. And my brother read the book and we laughed because my brother went into finance, stayed in finance. He's been in finance his whole entire life. And I have been all over the map. And it's really funny because from day one, I'm like, I'm not reading that book. And here I am, but I would have it no other way. Right. I've been exposed and had so many amazing learning opportunities. I've been exposed to so much that I just, you know, I love it. I'm curious too, because I catered for years and ran parties from 
you know, four to a thousand. And I think I learned more in catering than probably any other business experience. And I'm curious if you've had the same thing with what you learned in dance, you've been able to transfer into business building. I think there's two pieces of that for me. The building okay. piece was when I got my first job at Chanel, I was in my twenties and they threw a territory at me. I had the biggest account in the country. I had like a hundred people I had to manage over the, over across the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And my boss was a trial by fire type of boss. And so she threw me in there. I mean, they gave me, I had a budget that I had to pay people every week. I wrote the checks. I had to manage that. I mean, yeah. it, I was just talking to a friend of mine from Chanel the other day. And I was like, that was the most amazing experience because we had to develop business. We had to develop cosmetic business and fragrance business and skincare business and manage all these people. And they didn't even really report to you. They reported to the store. And how do you get them to do what you need them to do? And to me, it was like that to me was the un most unbelievable first job because I learned all of it and they threw it on me. I mean, I was supervised, but right. I, yeah. So that was the building piece. I had to turn, I had to spin a lot of plates very quickly and it was a sales job. So I had to hit a number and I was always getting a call. Like what happened yesterday? What happened yesterday? So that was amazing. The thing that I learned from dancing, which I also find fascinating, is that when you're a dancer and you get criticism, even if it's brutal and mean, it's very positive. Because mm -hmm. if you're being criticized, it means they think you have some talent. And so I learned very early on, like you could tell me anything and I do not get offended. Right. Because to me, it was positive. Even though I could end up crying at the end of it psychologically and I was I was with a, one of my friends who danced on Broadway yesterday actually and we were talking about this and we said like one of the biggest challenges in corporate or in just management is trying to talk to people mm -hmm. and trying to get them to take feedback and just hear like what's what might not be working and it it so often gets so derailed and I'm I've always it's part of why what my book was about I've always been astonished by that. Like, why are we talking about something that is completely unrelated now? We started at A and we are now at Q. Like, what is happening there? And a lot of it's just defensive. It's just people are just, it, they, our system does not train people to just listen to the information and use it for good. And that's what dancing teaches you. And, and it's made me kind of like fly through my careers because I don't get upset if people don't like me or just tell me I did something wrong. I appreciate knowing that, you know, I appreciate right. that information. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of learning from positive and negative feedback, especially the negative feedback because you're learning about the other person too. Excellent point. That's true. And why they're giving it to you. And how they give it. Because a lot of times I just felt like this isn't even negative and you're making it negative, but it's really even not if you break it down. It's just, it's just a conversation we need to have, you know? So yeah, that was the communication piece was always very interesting to me on just getting caught in the weeds. And I would always wonder how, how did we even get in here? I'm curious, as you've been growing Plastics, what has been the biggest learning experience for you? It's hard to put it in learning terms, but it's that I can't believe how often I think we're right and we're wrong. I am always shocked at like other pieces of information that come in and I guess, I guess learning how often you can be wrong. Like, I guess that's what we'd laugh about it because we're like, oh, we didn't see that coming at all, you know? And I, and I think the other thing is the 
persistence. It's very easy. It's very easy. Just, I can't do this. I can't take any, any more failure. I can't do this anymore. And then somehow you get, and then you get a, an idea or you have a conversation. You're like, oh, we could do this or we could do that. So I think that's the other thing is, you know, if you're in it and you're really in it, it's just to know that even on the worst days, tomorrow is better and something will happen. Yeah, I find too that right when I think nothing else is going to go well, something comes out of left field and you're like, oh, light at end of tunnel. Right. And kind of reinvigorates you. And it kind of makes you forget how you were just feeling right before because it can be very discouraging. Yeah, it's frustrating. Entrepreneurship is challenging and difficult and amazing. And I think there's so much to learn, but it, there are days where it's really dark too. And I'm I think it's great to hear you say that because most people think they're in that dark island by themselves. Oh, no, no. Yeah, you just, ha- you know, my dad used to always say to me, the darkest hour comes before the dawn. And I, yeah, always, right? I always try to remember that because I'm like, all right, well, it should be bright tomorrow, brighter tomorrow. <laughs> but if not tomorrow, definitely the next right, day. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know if I have to, I'll push it a week or so, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. It's, it's that basic idea that it's sometimes like shocking that like nothing's going right nothing is clicking nothing is working and then lo and behold something but you have to wait it out that's the thing that's difficult what's next for lastics maybe in the next year particularly as we're shifting kind of and i'm air quoting into the new normal yeah that's been i mean either we laugh or we cry but because i have classes and because i'm in new york city we are going to be the last of, we're going to probably be with like the football stadiums, you know, like, because because when we dance, we aspirate and they're just not going to let us do it. So it is definitely trying to scale online, Uh which actually does make a lot of sense. We're, We're learning a lot from Zoom or Zooming, which most of the world is doing, but whatever online vehicle we choose. At first I thought, oh, we can't, you know, we're about touching and feeling and energy and all this great stuff that happens in these rooms. And we've really just come to learn that people, it's comfy at home to stretch. And it's actually one of the things that's probably easier than a lot of other that you could roll out of bed and, and stretch. You can go to take a nighttime class and then roll into bed. So we're actually pretty excited about that. And I've had people since I started emailing me from all over the place, Ireland, San Francisco. Oh, do you have classes here? Do you have classes? And I said, oh God, no, it's just me. And at the time it was one other person. And I said, we teach in a dancing school in New York City, which no one would know, of, you know, no one has never heard of. Right. And so that has always been in the back of my mind, always. Like there are people out there who are looking for this and who would enjoy it and who could benefit from it and we can't reach them and we did initially with dvds and then the dvd businesses so this is a real opportunity for us to reach all those people that have been emailing me for years that's awesome yeah that's awesome so if somebody is listening to this and they wanted to hop on to one of your online classes how would they do that pretty easy you just go to our website it's lastix.com and we have kind of tunnels in to try a class, book a class, go to the classes, and they'll, all of those pages will produce a pop-up and you can just sign up. Okay. There's a little pop-up that will say, you know, it'll take you to a third party that we use. I did just find out someone had voiced concern for what it's worth. They do not share any of the information that, they, that we're pulling to run the classes. So, far, you know, everyone's on the internet now and I know a little bit more sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. So the only people that have that information is that company and us. And there's classes all times of day or all 
time of the not, day? Not that much yet. Um, you okay. know, we're trying to build it out. We have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. So we have a class every day. We don't have multiple classes a day. Okay. Cool. So we have like morning on one day, night on another, and a weekend. So that we kind of tried to make it so that if we could accommodate different preferences. Okay. Awesome. I'm super excited. As I said to you before we started recording, uh, my schedule has been a little all over the place, but I'm definitely looking forward to trying them out and seeing how it just shifts my body and my flexibility. Yeah, it's really cool. It's based on really tiny moves. So anybody can do it. They're really, really small moves that like we move you from inside your body, but those places connect one part of your body to another part. So if you open those up, you actually get the stretch from end to end. Most people bend when they stretch because the muscle's tight, so it pulls. Mm -hmm. So we flatten that out. And like I said, it's deep inside and it's tiny moves, which like anybody can do. It doesn't matter whether you're barely can. We also do have a standing stretch and a seated stretch. We have some people with like hip replacements. Right. So they do the standing and they work their way down. So yeah, it's a, it's a technique and it's really cool. I'm super excited about trying it out. Like, I'm excited for you to try it. Yeah, I'll have to let you know how it goes. And I think, I mean, it sounds like anybody can do it regardless of their age or whatever physical limitations they have to them. That's true. We do, I mean, in some cases, some knee, we have some knee issues. We do bend the knees, so we do modify. But in the Zoom classes, the teachers all modify. Right. But I have had a 94-year-old woman in my class but you have, she did get up, she was able to get up and down off the floor, but it's, that's my oldest. And we've had people who have just had babies coming in. It's like, they're kind of their transition back. We've had a lot of people post-surgery for healing. Anyone can do it. This has been absolutely phenomenal. And I've loved getting to know you and, and your story. And I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Well, you're very welcome. And I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Is there any like a quote or any last thought that you'd love to share with the audience? My, I'll tell you my favorite quote. I don't know. I mean, I think in these, in the times that we're in, it helps comfort me a lot mm -hmm. and I will credit my dad, but I'm pretty sure it came from uh, Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson. And okay. it's something to the effect that what you are speaks so loudly. I can't hear what you say you are. I like that, that. Has, that has gotten me through my career. I like that. That's a great one. And I haven't heard that one before. I am paraphrasing. And as I said, that's yeah. the way my dad delivered it. And I'm sure it wasn't from my dad, but it's just the idea is like what you are speaks so loudly. So it doesn't really matter what you say you are, what anyone says you are, you know, when you live it, that's what you are. And I think that's something that we can all remember. It's been very helpful when people get crazy around me. I'm like, doesn't matter what you are what is what you are. Then that's all, that's all the communication I need from you. How can people get in touch with you? So the website does have a contact page. It's lastix.com. My email is basically feelfree at lastix.com. Okay. And that will come to me. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Any questions, feel free to shoot them over. Awesome. We will definitely do that. Okay, Emmy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. And I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously 
so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. Thank you.